After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. We continue our Epiphany series called Reveal, that God reveals to us uh, the, the light of His love through His Son, Jesus Christ. And today, we come to an incident where Jesus calls His first disciples and asks them to follow Him. We see from this that Jesus had a magnetism about Him that you've never seen before. Have you ever known anyone who had that kind of magnetic personality or respect where people would follow? Uh, I once, I had a football coach like that uh, my senior year in high school, and I had moved from a public school to a Christian high school, and I looked at this coach, and he was a small, he wasn't a big man at all. He didn't yell, he didn't scream, he didn't use... Uh, any profanity or vulgarity like many of the coaches. Uh, he, he wasn't the guy that would get in your face and yell at you. But I'll tell you what, this guy, this coach, was someone that the guys respected and they followed. He was magnetic in the way he approached coaching. Uh, by the way, he's in his 80s now and he still keeps in contact with me after all these years. It came to a head though, his magnetism, when when we, we were undefeated, we were 6-0 and and we were playing another undefeated team and so this was a critical game and uh, we were backed up on our one yard line and the coach called for a pitch out, a flare from the quarterback would pitch it out to me going around the right side. Well, sure enough, the play was called, the play went into action and the ball came and as soon as it touched my hands, an unblocked defensive end, sounds like I'm already making excuses, <laughs> and, and the defensive end hit me at the same time as I caught the ball. Guess what happened? Fumbled. You got it. Fumbled. Uh, they were on the one-yard line. They scored the next play. We lost the game. Well, after the game, the coach came, and I thought, you know, I, I thought he was going to really let me have it. But he sat me down and he says, let's just talk about this. He says, what, what, what do you think we could have done differently there? And I realized the kind of leadership model that he was presenting was so different than any other coach that I had ever had. And because of that, people followed him. He was a great coach. He, he coached for 45, almost 50 years. Well, Jesus had a magnetism about himself so that when he came to the first disciples... To, to recruit men who would change the world on, on behalf of His love and His mercy, when He came to them, they responded. They followed Him. There was a magnetism about Jesus that you see nowhere else. Well, it kind of begs the question, 
for us. You know, where do we fit in? Where, what's attractive to you? What, what's pulling you in the directions where you live? What is it that, that tugs at your heart? What is it that tugs at your soul? You know, when we go back to the disciples in our text today, uh, you have to say, well, why did they just pick up everything and follow him? What was it about Jesus that made him so magnetic? Was it the way that he looked? No. In fact, Isaiah the prophet says that he had no beauty or no majesty. To me, that says that he didn't have Hollywood looks, okay? He was a regular, ordinary kind of guy. Well, or maybe it was because because of his extravagant clothing or his kingly posture. And yet you never see anything like that in the Gospels. Or maybe it was because he was, he was such a strong leader, he was bombastic, and he, he had the kind of magnetism, a personality that, that people would just follow. No, I don't think that was the case either. Or you might say, well, it was because he was God, and, and he could do miracles, and, and yet... This takes place at the very beginning of Mark's gospel, and up until this time, Jesus had done no major miracles. He had faced off against Satan in the wilderness. He had been baptized by John the Baptist, but until this, it, it wasn't the, the tremendous aspect of, of miraculous things that Jesus had done. So what was it that attracted these men magnetically to Jesus? It was because of the message that the Father had sent His Son to share the good news, in our text it says, of the kingdom of God. The good news that God loves you. In the Gospel of John, it says that all men, that Jesus says, I will draw all men unto myself. That's why Jesus came, to draw people to Him, to, to repair the relationship between God and man that happened as a result of sin. And so Jesus, the message of the kingdom of God, the good news of God's love and grace, centered in himself, who had come as the word made flesh. That was what was so attractive. That's why Jesus was magnetic. Mag, uh, magnetic. Well, you see how the disciples, when they were called, they, they needed to respond. In fact, the gospel demands a response. What was popular at this time in, in uh, rabbinic teaching is that a rabbi would have followers that would follow him. And this was especially true from where they came from, these men, Bethsaida on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, you were, look at the Latin word for disciple, it's disciplus. You see the word pupil. A disciple was one who received instruction from someone else. A disciple was one who accepted what the rabbi or the teacher was saying and would be underneath their discipline. Now, Jesus may or may not have been known. You know, he was, wasn't from far away in Nazareth. But whatever, when Jesus approached those disciples and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, it says they dropped everything. 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 In fact, the call that Jesus made for a commitment here involved three things. We see three imperatives in this passage. For the first imperative was to repent, to repent. The word repent, metanao, it means to change your mind. It means to go in a different direction. It means that if you are calling all the shots in your life, God says, no, nah, drop it. 
follow me. Let me call the shots for you. It means that you, you leave behind the, the sinful ways and the sinful attitudes and you go God's way. The second imperative is to believe. Throughout Scripture, we see that faith is what grabs a hold of the promises of God. And so Jesus simply says, repent, but then believe. And to believe, again, means to hold on to something beyond yourself, to grab on to the promises of God as the hope and the strength for your life, that you find your strength not in yourself, but in the one whom God sent, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the third imperative was follow. Follow me, Jesus said. And in doing so, he says, I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to make you into something different than you are today. I'm going to use you in the kingdom of God. I'm going to use you to connect other people and lead other people to Jesus. Well, when we look at that, uh, the gospel call was a powerful thing. And it's interesting that Mark says immediately they dropped their nets. Immediately they left the mending of their nets and they followed. And it's a clue as to just the power of Jesus and his call for you and me. Would you leave everything behind like that to follow Jesus? It wasn't because of his looks. It's not because of what he can give to you in this world. No, but Jesus says, follow me. And he looks at every, he, he knows every single one of our names. He knows us perfectly. And he says, follow me and I will make you into something different, something special transform so that you can make a difference in the kingdom of God, in the place where God has placed you. You know, that call came to you when you were baptized. By the power of the water and the word, the Lord said your name and made you his own so that you have a faith connection to Jesus Christ as your Savior. And since that time, God has been nurturing that faith in your heart and in your life through his word through his sacrament. And Jesus has become more and more part of your life so that you can respond to his call to repent, to believe, and to follow. And as you have responded to that call, God has blessed you. He's changing you. He's using you. And you know, there's no catch to the invitation. You'll never be rejected. You'll never be put down. Jesus simply says, follow me. And you know, that decision or that act of following Christ is more than just a one-time event. You know, once in a while you'll hear Christians, and, and it, it, there's nothing wrong with this, say something like, well, when I was 26 years old, I decided to follow Jesus. I committed my life to Him, to follow Him. But you know what? Every single day you make decisions, don't you, to follow Jesus Every single day, we remember who we are and whose we are in our baptism. Every day, you spend time with the Lord, hopefully at the beginning of your day. When, you, when God speaks to you through His Word, and you pour out your heart to Him in prayer, and, and, and you know the difference that it makes, because then the rest of your day, you're making choices, you're making decisions that reflect who you are. And in doing so, you are following Jesus. You know, for the disciples, in order for them to follow Jesus, it says they had to leave some things behind, didn't they? Uh, can you imagine those first disciples? Uh, 
you know, first it was, was Simon and Andrew, and then James and John, and they, they, they wave goodbye and say, sorry, Dad, you're going to have to hire some men to take our spots. We're, we're going with Jesus. It doesn't mean that they left fishing for good. It doesn't mean that they despised their families or left their families. It meant that they had a new priority in their life, that the rest of their life was ordered around Jesus and His kingdom. What are you called to leave behind? Are there some things that you are called to leave behind to follow Jesus? As I reflected on this, one of the things I know that is a struggle for me is being in control. A life where I'm making my own decisions. But when you repent and believe and follow Jesus, Jesus is the one who calls the shots in your life. you got to leave that behind where it's all about you. Or what else do we leave behind? How about your sinful ways? Every single one of us, as we look into the law, the perfect law of God, we realize that we've fallen short. God calls us to confess those things, to repent, to leave our sinful ways behind us. Even the secret sins that we all have, leave it. And it's not just the things that we do wrong, but what about all the things that we should be doing right? To love God and to love other people. And we're constantly making, we're making excuses. I can't do I don't I have time. I, yeah, 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 yeah. We all do it, don't we? And yet, Jesus says, follow me. What do you need to leave behind? Are you called to believe or to, and to leave behind a life centered in personal gain where the magnetism of this world is pulling on you so much that you're moving further away from Christ and His ways and His will? It's so easy to do that. The world has such a strong pull on all of us, every single one of us. This uh, hit home to me uh, when I had dinner with a young family with some high school kids. And the adults were down on one end of the table, and guess who got to sit by the kids? Okay, it was me. And, uh, in, you know, trying to carry on a conversation with high school kids, sometimes that's tough, okay? Uh, and yet, inv- invariably, you come to that, those questions that kids despise, that they don't want to be asked, but you ask them anyway, Okay. Oh, okay, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? What, you're, so you're going to go to college. What are you going to major in? What's your goal? Boy, it sounds like a parent, doesn't it? And so all, while all this is going on, one of the, one of the young, young the, the high school kids was drawing in her book. She had a picture book, and she was using colored pencils. And I asked to see it. She showed me, and they were fabulous, these drawings. I said, oh, what, you know, what are you going to do? She says, well, I'd love to be an artist. But I've already been told that artists don't make enough money, so I'm going to have to be something else like an engineer or something like that, okay? Or the other young lady was volunteering at a nursing home, and she loved taking care of people. I said, well, what would you like to do when you grow up? And she says, well, I'd really like to be a nurse, but I'm not sure that I can make enough money being a nurse to support myself. Again, it's the, magn- it's the ways of the world that often pull us away from following Jesus and trusting in Him to be used wherever God has placed us. And so the Lord calls us to follow Him, and maybe there's some leaving behind that we need to do. God help us to do that. 
something I found is that many Christians come to the point that they think that if they, have to, if they follow Jesus 100%, that means leaving behind some of the good things in my life. Does it mean that you have to leave your job and go to the seminary or something? No. God has placed you in the job that you have right now, not by accident. And if you don't feel like you're serving God and others in that job, then that might be reason to change. But otherwise, God is using you in your job. It doesn't mean that you leave your marriage or you have a different commitment to your children. It just means that Jesus is number one, and as you seek him first, all these other things, the Bible says, will be given unto you. It doesn't mean that you leave your friends. It doesn't mean that, that you have to move out of, a, uh, out of your neighborhood. No, you see, the fishing pond the, the, where God has placed you is right where you're supposed to be. And God can use you wherever you are, whatever you're doing, for his kingdom purposes. Follow me, he says, and I will make you become fishers of men. I will cause you, I will transform you to be used for my purposes. And that's what the Lord does for us. You know, another point to consider is sometimes when, when we feel the call, we know that God is calling us to be part of his kingdom process, to point others to Christ, we point to our shortcomings, our inabilities. God using me? I don't think that's possible. Me, a witness? Me, fishing for people and pointing them to Jesus? And yet when you look at the rabble of people that God collected, when you look at his first disciples, you have to look at them and say, if God could transform them, he can also transform me. These were blue-collar fishermen that he called. And then after this, we see that he called people who were cheaters and liars. He, he called people who, had, who were full of immorality in their past life. He called people that were part of a sect whose, who, whose sole goal was to hurt and to harm other people. And yet when Jesus called them, he also changed them. He transformed them. He be, they became new people in Jesus Christ. And the same is true for you and me. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And that means there's hope. There's a future. There was a future for the disciples. And there's a glorious future for you and for me too. Because God has made you special. He has adopted you as his own. He has given you his grace through his son, Jesus Christ. I enjoy the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3. It says, you are a letter from Christ written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. You know, other people don't write your story. The world is not writing your story. It's the Holy Spirit that is writing your life, your story. And in union with Him, God is enabling you to do three things. Repent. Let go of the sins that God, that, that you have, have realized in the light of God's law. And then you hold on to him, you trust in him, and you follow him. And as a result, you are special to the Lord. You know, it was uh, an old Bible that lay on a bargain table along with hundreds of other tattered books. And a lot of people picked up this Bible and, and leafed through it and, and put it back down, uh, it wasn't in very good condition. 
it had a $2 price tag on it. But one day, this guy came and he looked through the Bible. And he's looking through it, and you could hear audibly, he says, oh. And right away, he took the Bible up to where the table where, where you, you, the counter to pay, and he paid the $2, the trivial asking price. Turns out that this Bible was an original Gutenberg Bible, estimated to be worth more than $1 million. How many times had the world cast that Bible aside? How many people had thumbed through and looked at it and thought it was worth absolutely nothing? The truth is, every single one of us were passed over until our Savior, Jesus Christ, looked into your heart and to my heart, until he paid not a trivial price, but when he gave his, his life for us on the cross of Calvary and rose again, Jesus Christ said, you are mine. And so together with those first disciples, the Lord is working on us and transforming us to repent, to believe, and to follow him. And so we become used in his kingdom. We become we become instruments of His love and His grace wherever God has placed us. Amen? Amen. Amen.